here. So it's really encouraging. Also, uh, Hallie Brule was baptized in our campus ministry. She's sitting right here. And be praying for uh, Josh and Cindy. Uh, Josh and Cindy were there very close. Cindy got really ill and on Friday, so we, uh, we had to postpone the baptism. So it's, it's, it's coming, but we're glad to see you here and uh, really grateful for you guys' friendship. I'm embarking on a new series uh, that's called Follow, or Following Jesus, however you want to say it, uh, and trying to really help, if you're visiting with us for the first time, or this is your first time here at church, we're trying to explain the gospel to everyone who comes around us, how relational it is. And I don't know about you, but I grew up in a church where Jesus says stuff, and he would say, Jesus says you've got to wear a suit to church. Jesus says, you, better, you can't wear jeans up, up on stage. Jesus says, you better read your Bible and pray. Jesus says, don't look over there. And I'm like, where? where? <laughs> you know, it's a lot of Jesus said. A lot of Jesus says this, do this, do that. Jesus says this, go here, go that. Jesus says, give this, give that. And that can be kind of like a turnoff for people. And sometimes Jesus never said that. Jesus, some, some of the things that we say Jesus says, he never said But in order to try to be a follower, we start almost making little rules and regulations of what Jesus actually said. And that could be a turnoff. You know, I kept having to sit down when that that game was played. Jesus said, I got tired of playing that game. I was like, sometimes I'd be like, yeah, Jesus said this. And Jesus said, you better be on time. And Jesus says, don't come to church late. And Jesus says, oh, you better meditate with taking your communion. I mean, I was was all into the game at one point. And then I got tired of the game. Then I sat out like, oh, I need a break. I need a break, started coming late, doing whatever I wanted to do. And then some other guy would pop up and says, Hey, Gio, Jesus says. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> like, aren't you supposed to be sitting out once in a while? There are some people that can do it for a lifetime. They never sit out of the game of Jesus says. They're always in it. I get sometimes tired of the Jesus says game. And the frustrating thing about it is some people were actually good at it. They can, they can keep it up for a long time. And they, that game can go on for a very, very, very long time. For me... When it gets to that point, I have to sit down. It's getting too much. Um, I would meet people who've never played the Jesus Says game. And I'd be like, oh, this person needs to play. <laughs> but then I would go on, that's not good because I'm going to sit out here in a few months anyway. It's very easy to lose sight of the relational aspect of following Jesus. It's very, very easy. That the driving force behind the Christian faith is not a list of regulations. But rather a relationship with the living Savior. It's not. It's important that our kids understand that. Our children understand that. And the only way they're going to understand that is if you understand it. When you understand it, you won't play the Jesus says game with them either. Jesus says, go to bed at 8.30. No, he didn't. The tragedy... The tragedy is, when we lose sight of the relational nature of Christianity, we begin pursuing a list of things. Things that we don't do so well. And we lose our joy. Because we realize we don't do that so well. We lose our, our struggle and victory over temptation. We lose our balance. When we forget the relational nature of Christianity. It'd be like pursuing 
the principles and rules of marriage rather than the actual person you're married to. You can do everything right, but have no real relationship with who you're married to. You mean you put the toilet seat down? Turn off all the lights? How enjoyable would that be? How long do you think that charade would go on? When it's just about rules, but not about the relationship. That's why so many people bail out on Christianity as soon as they hit high school, or as soon as they hit college, or as soon as they have a chance to have their own decision, they say, I've had enough of that Jesus says game. Because it's a bunch of rules and regulations, and there's no real relationship. Why would anyone be interested in following Jesus if it's all about rules and regulations? They're missing the whole point of Jesus. And that's what this series is trying to accomplish. is to get to you to understand and believe that Jesus came here to want a relationship with you. And the irony is, that's what He came to do. And the Pharisees and the people of God weren't expecting it. So they had a hard time grasping what Jesus was saying when He said, follow me. So He came to change the spiritual paradigm. That's what he came to do. He came to change how we relate to him, how we relate to God, how we think about God, and how we approach God. And he gave us some word pictures. And throughout the gospel, Jesus would describe God in a couple ways. He would describe God as a father and a child relationship. He's the father and you're the child. Not the relationship that you had with your dad, but the ideal relationship of God being the perfect father and you being his son or daughter. So you can relate to him. He is, the, he, is, he is not a bigger version of your earthly father. He is a perfect version of your earthly dad. He's what you wanted your dad to be the whole time you were growing up. That's the picture he's trying to give us so that we can relate to him. He, he has the best interest in mind for your life. If you're a father... You want the best for your children. That's the illustration. He's not going, how can I make his life miserable? No, fathers don't do that. The other uh, word picture gives us, I'm like the vine and you're like the branch. All of us wine drinkers. He gives us a picture because in the Mediterranean, wine was a big, big marketable product. When you, when you have your Merlot and Cabernet tonight, As you're nightcapping with the wife and recapping your day, as you drink your cup, remember that. That's the description, that it came from the branch. The vine and the branch are connected. And that's the description He gives us. He's the source. He's where all the nutrients come from. It's the good stuff. He also gave us another word picture. The sheep and the uh, the shepherd. You know, sheep will wander away and get killed by the wolf. You know, sheep don't attack other, other uh, animals because they, they don't have biting teeth. They have nibbling teeth. So they need someone to protect them. You wander from God and drift from God relationally all the time. You drift in your marriage. Last Monday, you and your wife were doing awesome. This morning, things got a little cold. We just drift. We just drift. We said there's always a natural drift away from the relational nature that we were intended to have. We just drift. And so naturally, we need a shepherd to keep us kind of 
on track. And that's what God's description is. Sometimes he'll use his rod and he'll get, okay, come over here. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. These are the word pictures that he gave us. But there's one word picture that runs through the gospel that Jesus uses uh, uh, more times than others. One of us that, that encompasses non-believers, new believers, old believers. And that's one that we can relate to. Look in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 9. I want to introduce to you Jesus and how He relates and interacts with people. I have it on the board for you if you don't have your Bible. But it's good to turn in your Bible in case you want to read further on. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, this is the Gospel of Matthew. And Matthew wrote the Gospel and he writes about how Jesus and Him met. He gives you the encounter of how Jesus related to him and how he became a follower. So he kind of gives you some insight. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, the Gospel of Matthew writes this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Let's stop there for a second. Jewish tax collectors were the undisputed scum of the earth. The undisputed scum hated. Because what Romans did, Romans uh, had a tax system, and so the rich Romans would, would bid for their lot to, hey, I want this geographic region, I'll collect taxes for Rome. And so the Roman entrepreneur would go and find a local man in the population of his area, in this case was Judea, and he would find guys he'd hire as tax collectors, and Rome would get all their taxes. They would get a land tax. They get a property tax of not 1%, but of 10%. They would get a grain tax. They would get a wine and fruit tax. They would get the tax on the tolls and the bridges and the roads and the gates and the boundaries between districts. They would get import tax, export tax, harbor tax, town tax. You want to punch this guy in the face? Because he was there to collect for Rome, and then he would set up his own schedule fee to compensate himself. So you pay the tax to Rome, and then you pay me what I think is worthy of my time and energy to be here. And the Jewish population hated them because they were becoming rich off the backs of already the poor people of the community. For Rome. Consolidating with the enemy. That was the background. That's why when I say they were the undisputed scum of the earth, they were. And Jesus goes up to Matthew. And he goes up to his tax collector's booth. And he says something to him that startles him. And this is how the Jews got in the action. This is how they got their money. They were licensed robbers. They were beasts of the worst kind. And because of that, they were excluded from all religious life. No one wanted them to come to church. They didn't want to see your face at church. So they were left out there. And so you know what happened? The tax collectors, they hung out with themselves. So he finds Matthew sitting in the custom, uh, the custom house or the tax booth on this highway near the port of city, stealing from his own people. He's in the middle of stealing from his own people, a social outcast. Can you imagine what the disciples, when Jesus was walking up to Matthew, what they might have thought? Like, where's he going? Oh, no, 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 no. No, you don't want to go over there. That, that dude, that, stay away from that guy. That guy is dirty. That guy is a crook. 
And Jesus goes over there to the category of the most hated people. It was personal. I mean, it was beyond personal. And he walks up to him and says, not, he doesn't say this, how could you? (laughs) Or, your mama must be really proud, Matthew. He doesn't say, I'll pray for you. The things that you think you would have said to someone who was a social outcast, they need to be, con- he needs to be convicted of his sin. Because <laughs> when he's convicted and broken, oh, he'll follow Jesus. Some of us in this room, we think like that. Yeah. We think, oh, he needs to be convicted. Because I was convicted. And therefore the whole world needs to be convicted because I was convicted. And we think like that, don't we? Let me bludgeon him with guilt and then he'll be a follower of Jesus. Let me make him feel horrible about himself and then he'll follow Jesus. Yes, that works every time. Sometimes in our humanistic ways, we can think like that. But look what Jesus says to him. He doesn't say, you call yourself a son of Abraham? Follow me. The outcast, the tax collector, shunned from society, he walks up to him and says, hey, follow me. The rabbi, Jesus was considered a rabbi. Hey, can you take a break for a second and follow me? That meant you're going to be part of my posse, my crew. You could potentially be part of my inner circle. To that guy. To the outcast. And sometimes when people come to church, you feel that way. Especially if it's your first time, you already feel like, well, I don't know everybody here. And everyone feels like they they already know everybody. And they're hugging. And I've not had a hug yet. Can I get a hug? (laughs) When I came to this fellowship... Everyone was hugging but me. Because I was like, I was uncomfortable because I wasn't a part of the group. But you know what the group did and how they treated me? They turned around and said, hey, want to follow? Versus, I see you didn't give hugs today, Gio. How long have you known God and you're not giving hugs? They didn't, they didn't treat me that way. He was a rabbi. So this invitation was significant to those who were watching this. And Matthew said yes. And Matthew got up and followed him. And there's some things he could not and would not do at that point. He wasn't completely ready, but he started his steps. Notice what Jesus didn't say. Repent first! You repent, and then you will follow me. He didn't say that to Matthew. He just said, follow me. He can do that. I can take a a break. I'll get up. I'll follow you this afternoon, Jesus. And he took a baby step that would change his life forever. And throughout the Gospels, to men and women of every age and, and maturity level... 
Jesus invited them to follow Him. Both the righteous and the unrighteous. That simple invitation is the most accurate picture of what spiritual life is all about. It's following. Following Jesus. That Christian life is a life of following Christ. No matter how old you are, no matter how young, how you're physically or, or, or in your faith, that is the picture. You're, if you're a new Christian, or you don't know if you're a Christian, you're just a churchgoer, you've been church hopping for years, trying to find the right fit, Christianity is simply following Christ. The issue is not what you know, or how long you've been, you've been a Christian. Or how often you attend church. That's not the issue. The question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I following currently? Am I following actively? That's the question. And this, this interaction, what happened with Matthew and Jesus, did not sit well with the religious community. You'd think that would be a good thing, but in fact, they were threatened by this new paradigm, this new word picture, this new relationship that Jesus was, was talking about. This threatened them. Because it seemed like the cart went before the horse. Let me explain. In verse 10 of, of Matthew, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, okay, so he got up, he followed Jesus that afternoon, and that evening, he's at Matthew's house having dinner. And many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Notice the fellowship that the tax collectors have. They're their own little scum community. Everybody hates us. Hey, this guy, Jesus, asked me to you know, follow him. Hey, he's going to be at my house tonight. The, the rabbi's coming to my house. Can you imagine? It's like the Pharisee coming to the, my house, right? The rabbi's coming over. The Pharisees never wanted to hang out or go to his house for dinner, ever. But Jesus, the rabbi, goes and sits at his house. He's going, hey, oh, rabbi's coming over to our house. Maybe we can have a little church service. He's coming over. And the implication is, you know, the Pharisees go, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? You know what they're saying? Why is he eating with us? Where are the righteous? Why is he eating with them? Why, do you, why would he spend time with those people who are nothing like him? Why do those who are nothing like him, like him? Why do the tax collectors like Jesus? That just gives you an insight into the relational nature of who Jesus is. The tax collectors liked Him. The Pharisees and tax collectors didn't like each other because the Pharisees were constantly going, You're a sinner. Repent and change. And then we'll accept you into our awesome fellowship. And Jesus says, Hey, come on, follow me. By the way, you got any cooking for dinner? I think he did that to another guy named Zacchaeus. He said, hey man, I'm coming to your house today. He's like, really? And he comes over. This is how he interacted with people that didn't know him. And maybe you've been feeling like an outcast yourself for a while spiritually. Jesus says, follow me. 
And then, when there's this talk, the Pharisees are outside, they're upset, obviously. They might be talking to one of the disciples who tells Matthew, this is what the interaction was outside. They're wondering why, the, why, the, why Jesus eats with these guys. And they're saying, hey, why is he hanging out with us? And on hearing this, Jesus says, it's not the healthy, this is the word picture, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, if I'm the tax collector sitting next to Jesus, and he's saying this about us and the Pharisees, I'm going, oh, 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 say it again, who's sick? What? It's borderline a little bit insulting almost. But it's the word picture he's trying to get the Pharisees to see, and also he's trying to get the tax collectors to see in a sense, because Matthew knew something was wrong. He knew he was disconnected. And people who are are not aware of their need for Jesus usually opt out of not following Jesus when they're not connected. So Matthew, you know, he knows he's disconnected. And Jesus is, he's dealing with both groups at the same time. Here's the healthy and here's the sick. And that's the work picture he gives us. But he's spending time with those who are spiritually sick. He's encouraging those. And then look what he says next. He pulls a passage out of Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, and he quotes the prophet. He says, But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not, call, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. In the time of Hosea the prophet, the people of God were just going through the motions. Sacrifice here, do this. It's kind of like you're going through the motions. Get up on Sunday, go to church, da-da-da, come back, and you're going to go to midweek, go to house church, go to Sunday, or midweek, house church, Sunday. And all along what happens in your heart is you've drifted away in your heart from the relational aspect of Jesus. Where you start coming and you're like a zombie. I'm here, I'm coming. And so he is saying, hey, find out what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice. You believe the right things, you behave the right way, but you've lost the sight of the point of having a relationship with Jesus. He came to call. So of course the Pharisees are confused because this isn't about theology. This is about ministry. And they're thinking theologically. He's saying, I'm thinking relationally. Coming to church is relational. You don't come to church to hear theology, hear it. You'll have no relationships. And you'll lose the whole point of why Jesus came. Jesus could have come down and had, he could open up five different Sanhedrin type schools or, or, or Sadducee schools. He could have done that and says, this is how you do it, learn. No, but he came and was, hey, it's about the relationship with him and with us. Because if this is not right, this usually falters. If you're good here relationally, you're good here relationally with each other. That's the ministry. And there's a lesson for us all here. Because the church is described as the body of Christ. Another word picture. We're actually the arms and legs and feet and toes. And we are as close to anyone who will get to being with Jesus in this life, in this fellowship. You get a small group in Oxnard, Ventura. A small group here, a small group there. People are are coming and they're exploring and they're cautiously visiting our church. How do we interact with them? You know what's good about our church? 
when, you, when you're visiting, we actually know you're visiting. We know. There's someone new here. I get a chance to encourage them. You've probably already been approached by someone. Hi, where do you live? How are you doing? That's what this ministry should be doing and always should be doing because it's, it's the same thing that Jesus does. Amen. When a visitor or a guest walks into church, we're not like, how long has it been since you last been to church? <laughs> right? We would be like, oh, hi, thank you, bye. Right? Or you come to church and no one says anything to you. You come and sit down. You have a brief fellowship. That's my first time here. And they go, okay, and they move on. You come to church and no one engages you. No one follows up with you. No one asks you over for dinner. And when you come to this fellowship, what I've discovered here, dinners, fellowship, I want to get to know you. I want to hang out with you. That's the ministry of Jesus. And I want to commend you. Well done. You're following Jesus when you do that. Because the Pharisees wanted outside change before they would offer any public association. The Pharisees were like this. Change and you can join us. Jesus says this. Join us and you will change. So I want to ask you, join us and you'll change. And we have to stop being like the change and you can join us. The entry point for people is usually come into fellowship. So they come and they visit once, they visit twice, they like it, they study the Bible, and they learn how to follow. Amen. We don't hit them up the first time they're going through the doors going, Hey man, repent, change it up, bro, change it up. You hear? Change, change, change. Because if you change, you can join us. If you change, I'll invite you to lunch. If you clap during Joseph's songs, oh, you're going to lunch. If you don't clap during that song, no subway for you. Change. So here's some, I'm going to give you four things that you can learn about how Jesus invited people to follow. Four things. Number one, being a sinner does not disqualify you. In fact, he only invited sinners to follow him. That's who he invited, the sinners. And he invited them before they got better and before they even committed to doing so. He invited them. He invites people who know they are not all they ought to be and are not sure if they're willing to be. He still invites them. He invites people who know something is wrong, but aren't sure what to do about it. And that one thing that we can learn does not ever change. Whether you've been a Christian a year or 20 years, you know you're a sinner. In fact, the older you get in your Christianity, the more aware of the sin you are. When I was a, my first year Christian, I was I wasn't a sinner. I was awesome. Twenty one years later, I'm like I was a Christian back then. What? 
When you get older, you realize how much of a sinner you are. The second thing we can learn, being an unbeliever does not disqualify you. Jesus was constantly getting on His twelve for one topic. Why are you guys not believing me? They're, they're literally walking with Jesus, seeing all this crazy stuff, and they struggle with unbelief. So we can learn that being an unbeliever does not disqualify you. In fact, one of his 12 guys had a nickname, Doubting Thomas. And if you're visiting with us today, let me give you, let me give you a little, little secret that you may not know in this room, about people in this room. Some of them, they doubt. So I want to welcome you to Doubters Anonymous. Hi, my name is Gio, and I doubt. Because <laughs> that's honest. If the apostles doubted and they were walking with Jesus, and I've never seen the guy, and I, you know, I doubt sometimes. I have my doubts. And Jesus gets on me about my unbelief. That's why I, have, I read and go, oh yeah, that's right. I can learn. Being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify me. So welcome. Thirdly, the invitation to follow is an invitation to a relationship. Jesus went to the home of Matthew for fellowship before he made any changes to his life. He went to his house before he made any changes. I find that to be remarkable. You know, when I read the Gospels, I read the, see this, and sometimes when I read the epistles, all I hear is repent, change, repent, or die, or perish, you know? I'm like, whoa, it's crazy over there. But I think we miss the bigger context. When you follow, you change. So all the writers of the, all the writers of the epistles, Paul and Peter, they were queuing off the understanding that the Gospels was the primary teaching, and they're giving some corrective teaching to the church. And sometimes we go to the corrective epistle, and we kind of miss this invitation. Imagine having a, a, a time with a brother who's struggling with his doubt, and then you, then you show him, like, you doubt, you'll perish, brother. Change, change your heart. Or if you go, hey, man, doubting Thomas doubted too in the Gospels, and Jesus showed, came to him specifically and says, Thomas, touch my hands, touch my wounds. I want you to know, man, I'm the real deal. Which would be more effective? Showing him the real deal, Thomas, doubting Thomas. So something I'm picking up as an old regular as a Christian, and as I see Jesus, I'm learning and growing. I want to I want to respond like that. Because the epistles and the, and the and the New Testament is fantastic, but they're usually correcting churches who are already involved in how to how to undo the problems and fix it. But the lens should be Jesus and how he interacted. So the relationship aspect. You can begin a, a relational a relationship within our ministry before beginning a ministry with Savior. So part of you becoming a follower of Jesus is through our fellowship. You get to meet other followers. They get to encourage you, have you over, study the Bible with you, help you have a better understanding of Jesus and following Jesus. And exposure to Jesus is what initiates change. Maybe through us as well. Maybe because you're so giving and loving and want to be hospitable, 
that relationship initiates their desire to change. Sometimes people need another person to help them change. You see what I'm saying? Jesus says, follow me and you will believe. Follow me and you will change. Follow me and you will begin to see yourself and the world around you differently. (coughs) But you have to follow first. And lastly, following forces me to focus on where I am rather than where you are not. We in our nature, human beings, are extremely judgmental. Now, certain judgments are not are right, and certain judgments are wrong. I have to be able to discern to judge a person. Is this person open to the gospel? So let me encourage them. Right? So I have to have some form of judgment in a sense. I have to judge a situation. Okay, let me see the situation. Okay, let me hear, let me hear the matter. There's some forms of judgment, and there are other forms of judgment that are that are hypocritical and wrong. Okay? So the more I focus on the work that God has yet to do in me. I become less critical of what is lacking in you. You see how you see how that, that how that plays out. As long as I'm focused on where Jesus is leading me, I have little time to judge people regarding where Jesus isn't leading them. When you stop following, you'll begin judging. Yeah. That's that's what happened to the Pharisees. They stopped following, and all you are doing is judging. And people feel it. If you have children, you get a, you get a, you get a, you get a front row view of judgment. My son and daughter, you know, they're like, stop judging me! And there's, there's all kinds of judgment going on there. And I've got to get involved in that and, just, and settle some of the disputes. You get a first-hand view. When you take your eyes of how far... When you take your eyes off how far that you have to go, you'll begin focusing on how much farther you've come than someone else. And Jesus didn't like that then, and He doesn't like that now. Because when I'm in follow mode, I'm so aware how far I've yet to go. And I, I honestly, I see very little difference between those around me who are behind me. Like, we're, we're all in the same boat. We're just trying to follow Jesus. Yeah, we want to help each other. But being judgmental doesn't help anybody. That's, that's following Jesus. So if you become content with simply believing, if you become content with simply going through the motions... I'm going to go to church, wake up, Sunday come, house church. You become content, you'll wake up one day cold and judgmental. That's what my experience was in church growing up. It was very cold and judgmental. So when I became 18, I stopped going. I said, fooey with this church. And I joined the army. I joined a new church to save America. Just kidding. At the end of the day, the question is not how far along are you in your journey? That's not the question. The question is, am I following? And Matthew had no idea what Jesus had in store for him 
I mean, if you would have told him, he wouldn't have believed it. He had no idea he would write a bestseller. He had no idea that 2,000 years later, people will be talking about him. The scum of the earth. Turn disciple. Turn follower. Turn best-selling author. Author. You have no, no idea what God has in store for you either. But you sure don't want to miss it, do you? So here's my application. Tomorrow, I want you to start your prayer with this. Write this down for me. Just start with this and then see where it goes. Lord, where you lead, I will follow. Just start with that. Lord, where you lead, I will follow. And then start from there. See what comes to your heart, see what comes to your mind, and pray. Thank you for joining us in our service this morning. That concludes our service. Please enjoy the fellowship. And we have.